We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Mac, here with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Coming at you on a, a day that we don't usually drop a podcast. And there is uh, a reason for that, as we will get to momentarily. Um, also, not not really our usual format. We're, we're, we're messing everything up this week, um, because why not? It's the end of the summer, and we do what needs to be done. Uh, didn't get a chance to talk to him at the end of last week uh, for our fifth pick draft, um, but happy to see his face now. Jeremy Cohen. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm all right, John. Uh, good news. Papa's yes. got a brand new plant. As you can see, I uh, haven't named it yet. Still trying to decide. It's got to feel right. But uh, as you can see, uh, looking pretty nice. Getting there. They grow up so fast. But <laughs> how are you? As my, as my oldest is about to start first grade. Yes, they do grow up so fast. I know. Um, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, before I say anything else, I, I will uh, say hello to the, the uh, third leg of the tripod here. Andrew Claudio. Hello, Andrew. Hi, John. How are you? How is a weekend without said oldest and youngest children? <sighs> so for anybody who doesn't know, 
I had we, my wife and I had a wedding this weekend up in Woodstock, New York. Um, shout out to uh, newlyweds, Nicole and Chisholm Weaver. Uh, fantastic, fantastic wedding. Uh, wonderful time was had by all, but especially us uh, without our children. The first time that we've been without our kids for uh, a night, a whole night, like an overnight since our youngest was born. It was fantastic, Andrew. Thank you for asking. I'm glad. I know how much a night without children apparently means to you people with children. No, you don't. I okay. I have an idea what I, I okay. Maybe I don't no, have don't. an idea because right now I have no kids and I'm going to log off when we're done with this pod and still have no kids. So one day you'll understand one day I'll get it. I'll get a plant and then maybe I'll understand. Then maybe you will. But it's so then, similar. Just don't get it. It's so similar. The plant and the, ch- and the child. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, I'm, so I'm bringing you in early, uh, one, because say hi, but also um, we're coming at you guys today uh, through the inspiration of Andrew Claudio, because Andrew earlier today sent myself and Jeremy a text and said, hey, what are you guys doing tonight? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> hey, you know, nothing. Same same old shit. Different day. Uh, you want to you want to shed some light? It's nothing too um, convoluted. It's. I, we had originally planned to take Labor Day off and it's our last real time to take off before yeah. we really ramp up for training camp and media day and preseason and the upcoming season. So it was going to be kind of the, I mean, you know this better than anybody, the last day of summer before back to Nick's film school. I know as a teacher, you're probably, did you already start already? By the John? time people are listening to this, I will, they will. The odds are I will be in a classroom doing the, some such thing. The public school worker in my life starts when people are listening to today as well. So I looked at it as we'll take this weekend and, you know, recharge for one last time. Hence the fifth pick draft starring a tremendous performance by Benji Ritholtz that you should all listen to if you haven't yet aired yesterday morning. Then John released a newsletter and I thought it was brilliant. And then Jeremy released a 12 tweet thread. And I thought it was brilliant and also a bit of a counterpoint. And was like, they should just talk about this on a podcast and not even necessarily a counterpoint, but I could tell that there were some differences of opinions that you guys had toward the saga of Donovan Mitchell going to the Cavaliers and the negotiations and the reporting that has come out. So I thought you guys should have a conversation from your perspectives. And this will be our final word as a podcast on the summer of Donovan Mitchell and and I'll pick up there and then we'll, we'll do a little back and forth, but just on the final word thing, I, I get the distinct sense and I don't know how you guys feel. If you've, you have a different sense than me, please let me know. I think everybody's ready to move on from this. Um, I think, and it's, it's people are ready to move on in a very distinct sense as in like, <laughs> we know that what went down is probably something that, you know, in in a perfect world, it, it warrants paying maybe a little bit more attention to. However, it's can we just get to the games now? And for better or for worse, uh, and for reasons good or and or bad, the young core of this team is still here. We all want to see them play basketball. Let's see them. Sp- play basketball and let's stop talking about why they maybe wouldn't have been here to play basketball. If certain people had had their way, this, the other thing. Um, And also it's like me and you reacted in the moment that me and Benji had our two cents and then like, but we haven't really put a cap on it. So I think for a lot of reasons, 
A, we should talk about this again one last time, and B, it should be the last time. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll start with the newsletter. So basically, I, I, look, let me start with the probably the most important line that I wrote, which was up top, which was that the most important thing here, I think, all things considered, and I think Jeremy, you would agree with this, and I'll I'll ask you if you do. They didn't make a bad trade. And we could sit here and we could talk about whatever else we want to talk about. The fact is, I don't think the, the, I think the trade that was there to be made would not have been a good trade for this organization. And they did not make that trade. And I am happy they did not make that trade. Are you are we on the same page thus far? That's correct. OK, great. My the reason I wrote the thing and just for anybody who didn't read it, I basically went through four bullet points in which I was like, I think there are still some negative or we can, we can have some negative views towards the front office because of all this, even though they did the thing that I think we would all agree they should have done, which is walk away from the table and not make the trade. And, uh, you know, we'll get into some of the specifics of that, but for me, it really boils down to the negotiation itself, which I think from all the reporting that has come out, um, especially something that we haven't talked about on this podcast, which I guess now we're, it's kind of confirmed that because uh, I think Berman has this. There was a writer of the Boston Globe. I apologize. I forget. It was Gary Washburn uh, who had uh, and Stephen A. Smith. I have to give him credit. He, he did say it um, on, on ESPN. Gerson Rosas, who was brought in as a consultant or whatever you want to say, uh, with you know, fairly recently, he was the one who did the negotiating in this trade, which, like, I don't know, maybe that's a big deal to some people, maybe it's not a big deal to some people, but it seemed like there was a lot about this negotiation that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way from what I and a lot, some of that is my assumption about what I think happened and how it played out. That's one part of it. The bigger part, and this is where I want to start, and then I'll say my piece and then I'm going to turn it over to you, is here's how I would put it. They did not trade for the star this time because it was not the right thing to do for them to trade for the star. I think we're, as we just said, we're in agreement about that. My issue is that this was the path that this front office decided from the, I think from the, from day one, when they took over the team, Leon Rose two and a half years ago and brought in his people. This is the path that they chose to go. And there's been lots of things that they've done along the way, which have solidified that the trading for a star path is the path that they wanted to go. And you, in your thread, expertly, in a way that I haven't seen anybody else come close to doing, pointed out the reasons how and why it was not the time for them to trade for a star right now. And I'll leave that for you to say. And much more likely, they anticipated that this is the type of thing that they would be ready to do a year from now, not for right now. And I just, I'm like, well, that's, that's very convenient and that's nice. But when you're, when you're an organization that had a more obvious path, which is we got some interesting young players on this team. We got some picks come like we, we, we have a like Rose had a draft. He drafted OB drafted quickly. The more obvious path was leaning into that youth. And they kind of zagged when the obvious move was to, to zig. And I think ostensibly they did that under the guise of, 
we want to make the organization more appealing to a star player. And we're going to bypass some benefits that come with the more traditional. I just I'll I'll use the short term, even though I, I don't love the term, the tanking path. We're not going to do that. We're going to go this other direction because we want to go. There. And, and now the time came to do it. And it's like, uh, well, it wasn't the right time to do it. Just like, give us a little bit longer. And like something about that rub me, rubs me, rubbed, rubs me the wrong way. And I don't know if I'm vocalizing it great. And I would encourage everybody to read the newsletter. It's a free Monday edition. So everybody can read it. You don't have to pay for it. But that's kind of the genesis of really what got me to, to, to write the letter. Because now we're sitting here and we're left like, okay, well, I guess we wait for the next star. Or I guess we, you know, we, we hope for the assets to appreciate more. And then maybe it's like, I, I don't know. It's like, we're, they deserve more time. And I know that's where you're going to go with this, but it's, it's still, it rubs me the wrong way. I've said a lot. I'm sorry. I, I, but that's, I just wanted to get it all out. That's why. It's totally fine. Your, I mean, your newsletter was great. It inspired the thread because it took a, it took a while actually for me to try to get to the main point in my mind of where I was going. And, you know, there's some people who just read the first tweet of what was clearly a thread and assumed it was, Oh, well the Knicks just aren't lucky because they don't win the draft, uh, the, the draft lottery. It's like, no, it's not the direction I'm going for. It's that they turned their past drafts drafts into talent, which turned into other talent, which turned into more assets. And now here they are. And Cavs, you should the Cavs. Yes. You know, I mean, the Cavs had two building blocks that they acquired through the draft in the last few years that were not on the table at any point. And the best Knicks building block that we would consider being RJ Barrett was included in the deal, along with two unprotected first round picks. And I think it says one of two things. It either says that, you know, and there are several iterations of what the exact trade was. I'm not even clear. I don't know if anyone's truly clear who's not in touch with the negotiations directly, but it featured RJ Barrett before he signed his contract. And it featured two unprotected firsts. And then there was a conversation of Evan Fournier for the math to work. And of course, then there was talk of, well, are you attaching a pick to get rid of him? Because the Jazz don't want that other year. But so let's just say it's RJ Barrett and it's these two unprotected firsts. It either means that Leon Rose and the front office were so anxious, not anxious. They were so horny. Let's say horny. They were randy to get Donovan Mitchell that they overplayed their hand in such a way or that the perception of someone like RJ Barrett and the picks that they have, although I don't know why the picks would be below that are viewed lower than we as fans would like to admit. And I think the truth falls somewhere in the middle. It usually does, but I actually, I, the thing is I don't disagree with your overall premise. There's some counterpoints I have, but it's not, it's not like we're on a different page here. I've actually, I don't think felt, we are either. I felt like in the last few days since the trade, at first it's relief that they didn't make this trade. And then it's like, Oh God, but they didn't. But what if they did? It's like, John, if I said to you, Hey, I could have punched you in the face, but I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I you're welcome. To. And it's like, well, okay, but you're saying you, you could have done it. I'm like, yeah, I could have, <laughs> but I didn't. It's like, but okay. But you know, you're probably going to, try to punch me in the face later. Probably will, but you haven't done it yet. I have not. Like That's the way I see it. And We can talk about the stars that are on the horizon. And I really, quite frankly, don't want to because we're at a point now where the star market is going to be pretty quiet for a bit. I agree. 
And I think that's great. It gives us the opportunity to move forward and not have to think about that. And I love that the team will at least play younger players. I'm in complete agreement with you that the player that Ian Begley talked about through Tibbs, that he wants to phase out the veteran at Seven Fournier in favor of Quentin Grimes. And and Berman kind of backed that up in his own. Yes. Uh, he was on a video uh, earlier today. That Yeah, it was exactly. And it's just I don't I still don't understand what and we probably never will what their game plan would have been if it were RJ Barrett and Evan Fournier going out and Emmanuel quickly possibly and these two unprotected first. Like, do I think that they that it's doomed from the start once they get Donovan Mitchell? No, I don't. But I think it's going to be a real uphill battle. And it's great that they're not in the position where they've gotten Donovan Mitchell. But it does shake me more so than I would have thought, given how much it would have cost the Knicks. And especially if there was like this, this tax for the Knicks showing up to the Mavs jazz game, which is just funny to me because both sides are clearly mad at the Knicks, both being the Mavs and the jazz, where they could have just gone for both of those players, which I'm not saying is good, but they clearly went for one of them. I, I still think it was Brunson because everything feels like Donovan Mitchell was not supposed to be on the trade block this year. And yet he was, that's just kind of what happens. And we can talk about how there really aren't going to be a lot of stars that are coming up and that might be true. And yet every year they pop up for one reason or another, whether they're the right star or not, not entirely sure. It's a different conversation, but it was just something about your newsletter where it wasn't doom and gloom. It was more just kind of reinforcing the intentions were good, but they also weren't because even if you're th- like, you'd have to be so bullish on Donovan Mitchell's future as a six, one guard who's great on offense and has not proven to be that great on defense being paired with Tibbs, who is not the best offensive minded coach and there's better offense around him right now, but I'm still skeptical. I would have been guard heavy and it would have been, uh, you know, forward heavy. Just, there were a lot of pieces of it that just don't mesh and you could figure it out. But you know, there are a lot of things I've been willing to overlook with this front office uh, decisions they've made, um, quote unquote mistakes. Where again, I think the jury's out for some of them. Mm. But this kind of felt like an avalanche in that it it almost it didn't shake me to my core or anything like that. But it rattled me in a way that just kind of feels like what what exactly is going on here? Because yeah, you, you want to win games, that's fine. I, I can get behind that. But as you're saying, leaning into the veterans, okay, well, there is a limit. Like the reason you get these veteran contracts is because they are the vehicles to make salary move. And like, that's, that's another reason why the Knicks, if the Knicks knew Donovan Mitchell would be on the block, I guarantee you they would not have traded the 11th pick. Because if you look at Agbaji and how his salary helped, how he had four years of team control, how the Jazz are just an asset accumulation mode, I'm sure they would have loved it. And I don't even think that the protected first round picks are viewed negatively. I think that they are viewed with a little bit of skepticism because teams just don't have a clear sense as to when they could convey. Like you look at the wizards, what happens if everything goes right and they're a playoff team. And now suddenly you're picking 15th or 16th this year. That's great. If you're looking for a 2023 pick, but okay, well, what happens if it doesn't, is it 2024? Well, why don't you just put it the way you did in the thread, which is that those picks, um, unlike, the notion of distant unprotected picks 
It's the opposite. Distant unprotected picks are worth, you could argue, more now than later because of the unknown. Right. You made the point correctly that protected picks are worth more in the future than they are right now, yes. which I, was a great point. Yeah. And that's, I think, why the Knicks felt, hey, next year, we could offer the Wizards pick knowing, all right, they didn't make the playoffs. Well, there's a good chance that they finish with a top 13, you know, 13th or better and or I guess 18th, 17th, whatever, that the pick might convey that. And if it doesn't, yeah, become more, you got a yeah. 2025 pick, that sort of thing. And I don't think the Jazz cared. And ultimately, I'm not even think they didn't care because they knew they could find a better offer. But the more I thought about it as well, because we've talked about, you know, it's the next time to strike. And they didn't strike. And I'm glad they didn't when the price was where it was. But think about a year from now. Let's say the Cavs find a way to bring back Sexton. One year from now, aren't they making the same exact trade? Most likely, where they have they don't have to worry about base year compensation with with Sexton. Like I'm not saying I'm saying in a world where Lowry and Martin, yeah, no, where Donovan Mitchell's not traded this summer, it's next sure. summer where they basically say Sexton, Markinen, uh, Akbaji, and then three unprotected first. They could do the same thing the next year. Now, granted, it might be easier for the Knicks because it just might. But at the same time, the Jazz managed to turn Donovan Mitchell into three players who are 25 or under. And three unprotected picks and two pick swaps. And they got to stick it to the Knicks. And they're betting on Donovan Mitchell not necessarily staying in Cleveland. You know, Cleveland will be fine. They've got Evan Mobley. They've got Darius Garland. They've got Jarrett Allen. I'm not too worried about them long term. But even still, they have that opportunity. And they have the relationship because they have, as I believe you pointed out, the, the Jazz and the Cavs have made trades in the past. So... Recently, they know a lot. how to. This is like the right. fifth or sixth that they've made in the last, I don't know, handful of years. Yeah, Derek Rose was even one of the options, and then was very briefly. Yes. Well, yes, uh, I think bought out or waived by the Jazz, but yes, that sort of philosophy where you you built these relationships, and I don't even have a problem with the Knicks having a lot of decision makers in the room because at the end of the day, the person who calls the shots is Leon Rose, and we know, I believe it was Yaron Weitzman who talked about this in the post a while ago that Leon hears everyone out and then he makes the final decision. And I guess it's more what might be the the problem isn't the too many people in the room from an opinion standpoint. It might be from what is the central line of communication? What's the messaging? Because we talk to this person and then we talk to that person. We don't know who to contact. That, I believe, is a problem. But we also know from before that it used to be in past regimes, teams would call the Knicks and they wouldn't respond. And it was made clear that with Leon Rose in charge, the Knicks are returning phone calls, which again is the lowest possible <laughs> bar imaginable. Yeah. And yet we've gotten to where we are. So just to put a bow on it before I turn it back to you. Yeah. I, I think we, we have very much the same broader points in mind. It's just like the finer details where we might see it one way or another. Yeah. I, I'm a, it's funny. I'm actually not. The, the, let's, I want to pick up right where you, where you left off, which is the, the, the fact that there's a lot of voices in the room, I think, again, from a philosophical point of view, I, I just think in any walk of life, having more opinions and being able to call those opinions and make a final decision based on more and not less, less expertise in the room is a good thing. I Where I... Hmm, what I wonder about is... The fact that was the fact that there 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 are desperate disparate disparate not desperate disparate opinions in the room. How much did that 
impact um, their assessment of their own talent. This is the other thing I kind of harped on, which is like, and I think this is the thing that was most unsettling for a lot of people. And I'm, I don't, this is, I don't think I like thought of this. I just, I was, I think I was just pointing out the obvious, the fact that the Knicks were willing to offer up all these young players in various combinations and, and with picks to me, at least shows that there's no with that, with the possible exception of Quentin Grimes, who again, it has been confirmed was offered in some deal construction or another. We don't know what, um, but was at, at, there was definitely an offer on the table that included Quentin Grimes at some point during this whole thing. I don't know if it was with two picks with what, with three picks, probably, probably was not with three, probably was with two. Um, Cause I, and correct me if I'm wrong, only Ian Bagley has reported that they offer, that they offered a package with three unprotected first, right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, whatever. Like Woj did. Too. Oh yeah. It's right. Woj. Oh yeah. That's Woj right. Woj did did also. Dude, like what? It would be just more comforting. Just I don't know how else to say it. It would be just more comforting to know, even if I don't agree with them, it would be comforting to know that the Knicks as an organization had have like are in agreement on something um, within their own infrastructure. And it's like even to the point of like the three picks, like the fact even the fact, that's what I wanted to ask your opinion on, because we didn't really talk about this. because I don't think this, it came out when we were recording together live, the fact that they were again, according to Woj, which, you know, do with that what you will. The fact that they were willing to offer RJ and the three picks, but just as long as and quickly, but if that third pick was top five protected and I've been like wondering to myself, because Berman had the same thing. Is there, was it like the Milwaukee pick and not, one of their own picks, top five, because the Milwaukee picks, top four protected. I'm like, no, it's one of their own picks, top five protected. The reason I'm harping on that is like, well, where does that get you? Because you, it doesn't change how many picks you can include in a further trade and like how soon you have to wait to include multiple of your own first. And if we've been coming at this thing the whole time with like, okay, at least they had some conviction on one thing that they needed to retain a certain amount of future draft equity to make the next star trade. We don't even have that to, to hang on to anymore based on the reporting. And it's like, okay, well, Jesus Christ. So that's, I, that part of it is, is, is again, disheartening, discomforting, whatever word you want to say. Um, and I just, I, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what else to add. Well, plus the cost of moving Fournier because the jazz didn't want to take on his future salary, which again, like, come on. Again, I, I, I look at Lowry Markkinen and I look at Fournier and to me, Markkinen is, he's a good player. Don't get me wrong, but there is an inherent risk there. He has had injury concerns. And like, I think this is again, more same money, by the way, for anybody yeah. who doesn't know, it's literally the exact same contract, I think. Right. right. Almost to the dollar. Yeah. Yes. And this is where we might disagree. I still feel like it's incredible to me that Fournier can shoot practically 40% on what seven and a half attempts from three this past year and is viewed so negatively. And I think a lot of it is because he, like when you see him in playing international ball, He's really good. Yeah. It just happens where I feel as though Tibbs was never on board with him and he never found a way to truly incorporate him into the offense because the way that two guards functioned so well, like Reggie Bullock was all right. 
You're a catch and shoot player. That is your role. You hit shots, things go well. You don't hit shots, at least the spacing or the gravity that you provide gets us through because Lord knows we need it with Alfred Payton and Mitchell Robinson on the floor together. And And you defend. Right, and you defend. And he doesn't defend, so he gets the short end of the stick. And it just... It baffles me because Fournier is, he's fine. He's totally fine. Like if we're talking about a difference of two to $3 million annually, like it doesn't move me because if anything, the salary itself is still good for matching salary and trades. Like if he were making less money, like a four or $5 million less, then we'd be trying to figure out how to scramble to make the math work in a potential trade. But it doesn't matter that that part with Fournier going in the jazz deal behind us. But yeah, the idea of, okay, you've sent out two unprotected firsts and a top four protected first, top five. Top five, and, I think. Yeah. And you've of your own. And then you send out Fournier and a pick. I think it was the Bucks pick to move his salary to another team. What are you doing? And I thought about it at the time, you know, like this monster offer that Woj reports comes out. And at first I thought, all right, I know that I know that Woj has been fascinating in all of this, but it does. There were some tweets that he made that actually then seemed where he was coming from the Knicks side of it. Like it seemed like he did not so much of 180, but it seemed like he was also incorporating them and and they were using both of them. And I think a big reason for that was because he got the Bill Duffy scoop with RJ Barrett and was like, okay, tit for tat, I'll give you something and then I'll, I'll, you give me something and I'll be a little bit more lenient. But at first I thought this monster offer comes in and it's like, ha ha, Danny Ainge, look at you. You didn't do the best offer that you really could have. And as others have said, the Knicks offer was a better offer, especially if you're betting on them and they're unprotected first to not go over well. That's a better offer. But then I thought, how does, like, why would the Knicks then throw themselves under the bus to make Danny Ainge look bad? They already well, are. Can we just point. say what it was for anybody who's listening sure. who may not know? So it's, this is again, after all of the initial wave of reporting, it was. Later that later on Thursday evening, Woj sends out a tweet saying back in July, early July, the Knicks offered RJ, Mitch, Obi. Um, I guess it would have to be more salary because um RJ's still obviously it's it's pre-extension and Mitch is Mitch is signed on, trade based you know, your compensation. Yep. Yeah. Um so plus three unprotected firsts. And that was back in early July and Ainge turned it down. And the speculation for a lot of people is that that came from the Knicks purely to make Ainge look unreasonable slash stupid. Uh, Yeah. Yep. And then you get it from the Knicks perspective afterwards. Like, so you're, you're, are you basically throwing Ainge under the bus? So you yourself look Worse. No, you're throwing somehow? your own players under right. the bus like, to make it. Doesn't, it, it doesn't compute. And again, I don't want to say what well, was just lying here. I, there's been there's been so much information. I, 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 I honestly I can't parse out what is legitimate and what is just people feeding these insiders information. But if we are taking it at face value, it's it's not encouraging. And you know, like the, the thing about this regime, this summer feels like a letdown. When it, I don't think it should be, but a lot of it is, well, you could have had Jaden Ivey and then you didn't. And granted, if the Knicks went in and got Jaden Ivey, they'd have him, but they'd also be at a pick deficit. What that pick deficit is, I don't know. I, I can't remember. Was Quentin Grimes included in the Jaden Ivey talks? But I don't, I don't, unless I miss something, I don't believe that there was ever the specificity of reporting that we knew exactly what was offered and what was demanded right. from Detroit. But I, 
maybe I missed something. I don't or, know. but even with Sacramento, like, the bot, I'm sure there was there was enough due diligence. It's still, again, like I, I don't mean this as slander towards Quentin Grimes. I think he'll be a very good player. It's just I, the amount of untouchability that he has is is just very surprising to me. I get the three and D archetype. I get the creation that you hope to be there. I understand all of it. It's just. I, again, I hope he is as good as the team sees him. And they've, Lord yep. knows they have so many people in the data analytics team, one of the largest ones that if the, if they say the numbers back it up, I buy it. But even still, like it's just how you are able to construct all of this to get Jaden Ivey. Okay, well, then what's the next move? Because you've traded for someone who's an unproven talent and you hope he pops, but he might not. And then you get Jalen Brunson, but it's if it's not bad enough. And again, I, I love Jalen Brunson have been banging the desk to get Jalen Brunson for oh, a year and a half. Really happy with it. What comes with it? Well, potential tampering issues, right? <laughs> like you can't do a sign and trade because then the teams that got dinged for tampering all did sign and trades. And then that messes up your whole configuration. Cause now you're going under the cap. And again, I know that under the cap over the cap doesn't seem to matter because you could they still did what they did but like if the Knicks had found a way to do over the salary cap and did the sign and trade they could have kept Taj Gibson and used him as salary filler and this type of a deal for Donovan Mitchell they could have signed Isaiah Hartenstein to the mid-level exception Jericho Sims the mid-level exception it's like things that don't seem to matter on the surface, but they do because it's all about the details in the process and they'll get by with it fine assuming they're not hit with some sort of penalty for tampering as but, long as they don't give up a first i think would be you right know. but it, it feels like there has not been a moment in i don't know how long that has just been like hey this is a good thing without the other shoe dropping because this this past season was so frustrating and we had to deal with the whole roster log jam which is still a problem which the front office I just i don't even know if they really care about it which i like, I'm sure they do, but at the same time... It, Can we spend a minute there? Does. Yeah, let's, let's do it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. 
Learn more at marines.com. And again, that ties into the initial point that I made about the path that they're that they're taking and the path that they decided not to take. And I, I've said this on the pod before, and I think I've written this before. To me, the pivot point with them was essentially, I don't know exactly when, but like, I, I have to think at some point, whether it was 10 or 15 or 20 games into the 2020-21 season, the season that we have all talked so glowingly about, um, first, second, whatever, best, most fun Knicks season in the last 20 years. There was a point where they could have turned around and looked at what Julius Randle was doing and said, and looked at their organization and been real with themselves and said, let's strike while the iron is hot. And if they, but they didn't decide to go that way. They decided to play that season out and it resulted in 41 and 31 and a four seed and the whole thing. And they obviously parlayed that into Kemba Fournier resigning all the bets and trying to improve it. It didn't work out. That's the path they took. If they took the other path and like, it's that's the question I'm always going to have because that, I think that was the more obvious path and you it can, works. It's the more, I mean, yes, but also the more obvious path. If it works, if we're looking it, at the Knicks drafting a player who doesn't fit or like something goes wrong, then it's, I, I get like, in hindsight, sure, 100%. It, based on where they were at, you could argue it was the right move. And you could also say that if they didn't want to, because we know that someone like Brock Aller, I'm sure, wanted to go down that road. I would and imagine I, so. I would right. And I'm so. sure that he was overruled. And you could say, well, like, because Tibbs is here and he wants to win, and that's fine. And then, and not you, but just in general. And and the point I would make is, well, then why did you bring Tibbs in? Well, so, that it, so really what I'm saying in the in that pivot point where they didn't trade Randall. And then they obviously, once they started going down that road, of course they were going to try to improve the team the following summer with all of the signings and the re-signings. And then, you know, it even goes all like right up until the summer with Brunson and the pursuit of Mitchell. It all ties in together. All of that started the day they hired Tom Thibodeau as head coach, because you don't hire Tom Thibodeau as head coach unless your intention is to milk every possible win from your roster from that point forward. Otherwise you would have hired, whether it's Jamal Mosley, um, whether, or I mean, I, I'm trying to think of some of the other, well, I mean, you I said know Kenny Atkinson, as you Kenny Atkinson was, is the obvious name. I mean, I know kid was in the running that I don't know what that would have said about what they wanted to do, but all of the, I mean, Will Hardy, who just got hired in Utah. Yep. He was, I distinctly remember when he was interviewed for the Knicks, everybody was like, well, it's probably not his time yet, but, of all of the Knicks candidates that they interviewed at that time, he was the one where it was like, this guy's, it's going to happen for him at some point soon. He's a sure thing. Spurs system, the whole thing. Wonderkin. Yeah. And Didn't they also what, interview Udoka before? Oh, yes. I think they did. They interviewed Udoka. Yep. Um I confirmed that, but I'm, it feels like they did because I remember looking up something like this. Didn't Udoka have a cup of coffee with them as a player? Yes, he did. Yeah, and I think I remember writing something about that. Andrew, if I'm wrong, leave this in, but just tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, they interviewed him? Okay. So they had a lot of different directions they could go. They went with Tom Thibodeau, which, of course, now has morphed into Tom Thibodeau being the singular lightning rod of this fan base because he, again, tried. he only knows how to coach basketball one way, and it's the same way that he coached basketball 
up until the point when he was hired. And it's what they knew they were getting, which is you put him in charge. There is no question about what the priority is today, tomorrow or the next day. It is I'm going to approach everything about this with how can I get the most wins out of the franchise? That is the decision they made. And so I that's why I do kind of find it funny now when people turn around and are like, well, Tibbs should be doing X, Y, and Z because these are the priorities and not. No, that they should have fired. Again, if that's what they want to do, they should have fired him a year ago or whatever it was. You know, they're at the all-star break when when priorities started to change and they they had to do an about face of the organization. And like, shit, maybe wins aren't the thing anymore because of how this has kind of gone sideways. There is another conversation which has turned into just is Thibodeau smart enough to know the players that get him the most wins or is he actively making bad decisions to each their own on that front? I don't don't know how we even talk about that. And I don't think there is a worthy conversation. But again, where we are left with is if if Tom is here and Derek Rose and Evan Fournier and Julius Rand- well, let's put Randall in a different category. If Fournier and Rose, when we could get to Randall, we could maybe before we start finish up. If Fournier and Rose are here on this roster, there is no argument that Evan Fournier and Derek Rose do not deserve to play some time, some matter, some a number of minutes. If your intention is to win, give yourself the best chance to win basketball games. Is there, again, the argument that I said I'm not really interested in? Is there an argument that they should play 16 versus 19 versus 23? Yes, absolutely. And we could sit here all day and have that discussion, you know, versus Emmanuel quickly getting 16 versus 18 versus 22 minutes. Okay, that's a conversation. But the premise of like, these guys shouldn't play because the team is where they're at right now. That is not a Tom Thibodeau conversation. That is a front office conversation. And the fact that Derrick Rose is probably going to start the, I would guess, if I had to guess, maybe we're, I'm wrong. I know you've, you pitched some trades last week. The fact that Derrick Rose is probably going to start the year on this roster. And, and if you're going to turn around and say, well, he's Tibbs' guy. Tibbs wants him here. Again, fire the fucking man. If that's the case and you don't agree, if, if like it is so abhorrent, but again, they're not going to do that because this is why they brought him in. I feel like I'm talking around in circles, but like, yeah, blame tips all you want for X, Y and Z. But like, let's keep the focus on this is what they wanted when they brought him on. And it's what they still want to a certain extent. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I hear you completely. I get it. I, like. I wanted Tibbs in the beginning of the process. And just for what it's worth, the 2020 interviewees that they had, it was Tibbs, Atkinson, um, Mike Miller, although that was probably more just Curtis. kind. Uh, Mike Woodson, um, Jamal Mosley, um, Ime Udoka, it was, uh, Chris Fleming, I think it was. Correct. Um, Will Hardy. And then uh, Delaney. I can't, Pat, Delaney. Pat Delaney. Pat Delaney. Delaney. That's right. The yeah. system for the Hornets and the Magic. Yep, exactly. So Shout out to the New York Daily News for that article. Yeah. I just, John, here's where I struggle because I look at, we talked about with, with stars and it's, it's frustrating because so many of our conversations start and end with what about like, how are the Knicks going to get a star? Whereas it'd be so great. And at least 25 other teams get to be able to say like, Hey, we have a star. Like, how can we get better? But we still get to watch the star. And I don't mean that. Or as, they, me, why do you oh, hate RJ Barrett or anything? Hold it's just on. Like, 
Yes. They have a guy that they can reasonably talk because people are going to write back and be like, oh, why do you think Paolo Banchero is better than they have someone they could look at and be like, it's possible that Mm -hmm. we have that guy. I just want to make sure we're clear on what you mean by that. And we certainly hope that RJ Barrett is that player. But at this at this exact moment in time, a lot of it is is hope. (laughs) Who? Who, John? I don't, I don't know which names, but well, I know two names. I know Danny Ainge's and Dickie's that guy. And I know that at least the majority, I guess, of the decision-making body in New York doesn't think he's that guy. Right. And just speaking of RJ for a quick second, it, it boggles my mind how signing him to a reasonable extension has created so much hemming and hawing. Like I understand if the Knicks, if this became premature based on the entire conversation, they felt they, the need to do this, but it's a good extension. If, if he hits the marks he needs to, then he's in great shape. Uh, and if he doesn't, it's still very good to trade and it's fine. I don't have a problem with it whatsoever, but I'm kind of getting. Can I just give a quick shout out on that? Sam Vecini, who has been on this podcast with Chris during a uh, draft season. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not always agree with Sam. He puts in the work and I think his opinions are very much evidence based across the board for the athletic, he, he writes, he wrote a fantastic piece on the RJ extension in which he was like, look, there are people around the league who don't believe him in, in him to a certain degree. Then there are people around the league that do agree to with do um, believe in him to a certain degree. He's a believer and he lays out the case. Why, even if you're kind of not a believer, it's tough to knock this extension. It's a good, and, and I don't know that anybody has come out and said, this is bad. Like that I've seen. I, it's no, just overshadowed by Donovan Mitchell, yes. which is a shame. And and the circumstances of under which it was signed. Right. Yes. But so I think the, the crux of this, which also makes me feel somewhat downtrodden, is so we know that the pursuit of a star continues, even if we can hit pause on it for right now. That's great. Mm-hmm. But it kind of forces the Knicks, unless someone becomes available this summer who is really good. Maybe it happens at the trade deadline, but I'm dubious just based on how teams are set up. Let's say it's this summer. That'd be great. But of course, there's going to be increased competition. You're going to have a team like the Thunder where they're probably going to be ready to take the next step and they might want to consolidate their picks just like they did with the 11th pick with the Knicks um, and some of their players and try to trade for another star because the Knicks are actually going to be competing with a team like that. But even still, I'm at this point where I want the Knicks to win because I want to see them win. It's it's good for all of us. I'd like to see it. Jeremy, I need to I need to watch a team and not have self-loathing, serious self-loathing issues. I completely as get I it. watch basketball. But this is the this is the push and pull where I'm at, right? I want to see winning because it shows next step. And also you would hope that the reason the Knicks are winning is because of Jalen Brunson, RJ Barrett, Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, Mr. Robinson, like all these different players that you have here. And yet I know. I know that a big move that the Knicks will have to make moving forward is going through the 2023 draft, which is supposed to be a great class. And the flip side of the better your team doing, the worse your pick is. And the good news is that the Knicks will likely have two picks in the 2023 draft. And the East is very competitive. And so for me, it's kind of let the cards fall as they may. I just want to see a team that's competent. But based on the roster construction, based on a lot of what's going on, it's it's hard to find where that next step is. And if you want them to trade up, which no matter where they finish in this draft, 
I want them to trade up. They need to do it. They need to push up in some way to consolidate some of these picks. And the best way to do it is by leaning on the drafting and development team, which what we know from drafting, they've done a good job. The development part, because of the chance to play and whatnot is a very different story, but I want them to move in on star talent and potential there. Can and I, they'd be, they'd be, hold on, they'd be better yeah. off. They'd be in a better position trading up in 2023 than they would have if they didn't trade the 11th pick out and got, you know, and got the three first or whatever and, and getting Jaden Ivey instead. Like you can argue that, but they still need to find a way to trade up in such a way in the 2023 draft. And all these teams know that the Knicks will do it. And now maybe the Knicks just say, screw it. We've got 11 picks in the next seven years. We know where some of these are going to convey. If we have to splurge a little bit, if we get a little taken advantage of, and it's for a player that we really believe in, fine. I can't knock it because at the end of the day, that's what the Knicks need. They need players with serious potential, but I'm not talking like Kevin Knox potential. I'm talking like very you, solid you, floor. Whoa, whoa. Why do you hate Kevin Knox? I, I think it should be. If you read my thread today, you know why I'm upset at past drafts, but I, know. I digress. So like that's that's the way I see it. And it's why I'm so conflicted because I want the Knicks to acquire star talent. But I also recognize that they're almost being forced to go down this path of trading up. But if they're if they keep win- if they're winning and if the Mavs are winning, it makes the job to move up that much more difficult. And I'm excited because I think next year is probably, hopefully, the summer that Rokas Yakabaitis comes over, and that in itself will feel like a brand new pick. And you've got some other pieces that are there too that you you know who knows what or who will be here or whatnot, but it's all got to come together in the next year. And what was originally thought of before is, Oh, well the the Knicks can make a star trade in 2023 feels now like the Knicks really need to hone in on how they can build through the draft. Because if we're seeing situations unfolding, like with Donovan Mitchell, even if it was the right call in the end where I'm glad it didn't happen, you got to find it somehow. If it's not going to be through the draft and if it's not going to be through free agency, it's got to be through a trade. And if you don't have established stars around the market, you go back to the draft. And if you can't do the draft, you have to trade up. And if you can't find anyone to trade up, you have to find someone at your draft slot who you believe has enough star talent to propel you, but at a high enough floor where they can actually contribute to basketball just in case. And it's a position I do not envy of the Knicks. And again, I don't want to sound super negative. I've come onto this podcast many a times talking about how I do have faith in the front office. And I do. But you sit back and you think like, there's there's ample time for them to get it right, but are they going to be well, given enough time for them to get it right? Because so you can get rid of Tibbs at some point. If things go downhill, let's face it, I don't think Tibbs is even like he may not even finish the season, no. even if the kind of like the politics angle from the Knicks perspective of CAA and a head coach, like who knows? If it's really bad, I think they'll just say, We gotta we gotta get through this. But if they hang on to him for the whole year and we have a situation unfolds like last year, uh, it's hell. It's absolute hell. And you would hope a new coach fixes that, but it can't. You have to have the front office the co- step in and do enough where it's it it's all the parts helping each other out. The coach, the only thing that the coach is going, again, you either... <laughs> a new coach, if, a, if I, Tibbs was fired today and a new coach was hired tomorrow and the new coach was basically amenable to playing the veteran players 
you know, the front, I was amenable to the front office handing him a sheet of paper and said, these players get this amount of time. There was a limit to which the three veterans we're talking about here, Rose Fournier and Randall, to, there was a limit to which their minutes would be reduced by any responsible front office. Even Rose, who's an expiring contract, I think a wise front office would say this player has to continue to at least play seven, eight, nine minutes a half because there's a good chance that if he plays well and stays healthy, we're going to be able to flip him for a first round pick at the deadline, which is not something that I think smart front office would just toss away. Not nearly as important as continuing to play Randall and Fournier, assuming you can't move them now, because with the money left and the years left on those contracts, specifically for Randall, if you bury those players, well, then you're just lighting mass sums of money on fire. And uh, the Knicks are not in a position to be doing that. Uh, that's there's no there's no argument that that's smart team building. So that's number one. Two, the the nice thing about the scenario you lay out, which I don't, I'm not as dead set on like they need to trade up because maybe there's a scenario where they don't need to trade up. Maybe right. they land at five or four or you know three or whatever. Not five. Five would mean five would mean the hell. worst team in the league. But- <laughs> Four, three, or like two, one, one of the worst yeah. teams in the league and they got unlucky or something. Anyway, uh, let me take a step back. As long as they, if they came away from the next dra- draft with just a guy that they could sell as like, we finally got a guy, it almost starts the clock over again on them. And that is really what they need. And that is what this Mitchell trade would have bought them. Which is why when we're sitting here asking questions about like, well, shit, how could they have offered all of this? And I really, really hope the answer wasn't, hey, if we get this guy, at least we know we get another couple of years to fig- to show that like or to, to, to ostensibly figure out how we get the next guy, even if we've effectively taken off away our path. I'm going to choose not to believe that. Going to choose to be positive. If they get a guy from the draft, it does restart the clock. and. And here's the thing that I wonder is, is there a world where this season results in a team that enters the next lottery night with a very real chance to either move up in the draft on because they have not won many ballgames or to enter next year's draft high enough up in the lottery, whether they get lottery luck or don't get lottery luck to use their asset base to move up to a point where you're getting, again, a guy that you could sell to your fan base. And I think more than anything, and this is a good place to finish up, that is the overarching question hanging over the organization right now is how risky are you? Not how risky, that's the wrong word. How much faith do you have in your own job security? I think that has to be the question right now. And as I'm looking at, and this is maybe it's a good transition. Uh, I don't know if anybody else follows Jazz Notes at Utah Jazz Notes. It's an account I started following a few months ago because they don't tweet out a lot, but they have a pretty good track record. And they tweeted out a few minutes ago. Um, NBA sources tell Utah Jazz Notes, Jazz and Lakers are progressing towards a deal that will send Russell Westbrook and draft compensation to Utah. 
and then they followed up. There was still work to be done. A growing belief is that this is trending towards a deal. Quote, Danny wants more picks. So there's a shocker. Um, and here's where I'm at. And this is really the last thought I have. And this is the, the way to move forward. I don't know that I, I think I'm back at the point where like, I think they need to trade Randall. And I don't know that I care what the cost is before the season starts, because if the season starts and he's here, he's playing a goodly amount of minutes. And there's just no world again with four years and 106 million guaranteed, right? Uh, left on his contract. There's no world like you're, he's, he's not going to come off the bench. He's going to start. And he's going to start and he's going to play 30 minutes or whereabouts. And like, that's going to go one of two ways. He's either going to play well and it's going to look good. And they're going to probably win more games than they should. And they're going to be a spunky six or seven or or eight seed. And then we're sitting here a year from now and like, huh? Okay. So that was a good season, right? We had a good season. We progressed towards something. What are we, what are we progressing towards again? What assets accumulated in or appreciated in value? Did we get a, a, who do we get in the draft? What pick do we land at? Um, what is Randall more tradable now? Like after the season, like what, where, what, what, where, what middle world are we in? Or, or he comes out, he plays like shit and it gets worse. It's another version of last season. And then are they they're I think more stuck with him because he went out again and played poorly and he showed that last season wasn't an aberration. So I guess I, and this is, I'm previewing my newsletter for Wednesday, which I'm in the process of writing. I guess I don't see a world where like them keeping him going into the season turns out well, regardless of if he plays good or not. Um, I guess maybe he goes out and plays well and they find a taker for him a, a month or two into the season. Sure. It could happen. Oh boy. But do we really believe that's the case? Again, it goes back to the front office. Do we really believe if they come out of the gate and he's playing well and they're, you know, 18 and 14 after however many games and Randall's like, oh, man, Randall, he's looking like an all-star game. We think they're going to turn around and trade him. Are we sure about that? I don't know. Fool me once. Well, you mentioned the fresh air and kind of like how you can buy back some of the goodwill. If you land a good pick in the 2023 draft and trade Randall. Now I I, I, I right. didn't make that point clear. Yeah. And you said exactly what I was going to get at, which is you can get that lease on life, or at least the majority of Knicks fans can get that because I know there's still people who do want to see Randall succeed here. And it's not that we don't, it's that we're just skeptical. We're Randall's not quite as optimistic. And so it's like, okay, well, I have been and very vocal about I'm not attaching anything to Randall. It's it's ridiculous. It would you, you hand it in the contract, you hope to find a partner, but if not, you can run it back. And I am now getting to the point in which it's like if you need to find a way where you can create a team that is functional, that you don't have to worry about like you said it yourself, or you relayed it, it was like correct me if I'm wrong, the players were more comfortable playing with Obi Toppin than they were with Randall because they were watching Randall, which means that they are not incorporated into the flow of the offense. That's Berman either... Was he like saying that's what Tibbs... Whatever. Berman 
said as much on a recent video interview that that is what he got from whoever he has spoken to that spoke speaks to the team. Or right. So Tom Thibodeau, but that's, that's fine. Uh, the point being here that it's just like, I, it, it depends on the pick. I think, I think it's terrible business. It's atrocious business to Sorry. sign someone and then use a protected first round pick, not your own, but one of the ones that you have to then get rid of Randall in some fashion. I think it's, it's awful. And yet I understand it. And I think that's the thing. I don't have to like it to understand it. And if it does happen, I will be furious. And at the same time, I will understand why they're doing this, who it benefits, how the team can grow from it. And I'll be ready to move on. And I'll be ready to say, look, I really thought this contract was going to work. This is you extend players so you can try to get something out. He was second team all NBA. It makes sense why you lock into him. The, the, the principle of it was rock solid. That doesn't mean it worked out in the way it does. And it hasn't. And it may not. And that's where I think the Knicks really have to get an understanding of what they want this team to be. Because extricating Randall doesn't necessarily mean you lose more games. It could. It could. Well, but we also saw the youth playing with a level of pace and excitement and energy where if they're going to be bad, they'll be fun bad. And if they're going to be good, well, damn, we're talking about a team that is primarily players who are 26 years old and under. That's pretty good. But Jeremy, if they go out and they, let's, I don't know, let's put a number on it. Let's say they trade Randall tomorrow. Let's say they attach the pick. They trade Randall somewhere tomorrow and they get back a Let's say they get back a veteran who needs to play minutes, but not have a Randall-sized role Let's call on it what the it team. Is. Let's call it Gordon Hayward. Which would be a little dicey. Sure. Um, but let's, little, let's, sure. I mean, let's call it Gordon Hayward. Let's say Gordon Hayward. Okay. Um, and let's say Hayward comes off the bench as a six-man at $30 million a year. Do I think that's going to happen? I don't know. Um, I think it's possible. No, actually, I, I think it's very possible because he's not playing ahead of Obi and he's not playing ahead of RJ. And he's more, much more of a four than he is then, which also, sorry, Mellow fans probably takes Mellow yeah. out of the equation because you're not necessarily going to want a team with Hayward and Mellow. And if it allows you to keep Cam, and by the way, Deuce McBride is not really going to see many minutes. So he makes the math work for Randall to go out there. And if Rose is going to be healthy yeah. and if he's not, then you've got quickly to replace him. And the Knicks probably signed someone like Arja Diakono as a fourth point guard, because why not at that point? It's pure depth. Yeah. Uh, Arja Diakono playing zero minutes is the same exact thing as Deuce McBride playing zero minutes. <laughs> doesn't matter. They are not playing. They're not impacting the game. Uh, it, you know, I'd love to see Deuce thrive here. I'd love to see all these players thrive here. But like for the math to work, being at Randall and Deuce for Hayward, you clear up some more of, of your your lo your roster log jam. I mean, you don't because you still need to get one of Fournier uh, or Cam out of there. And yeah, and I mean, who knows how that would how you're going to shake that out? And like the idea as well. I, we I don't think we've talked about this enough. Like, let's say the Knicks roll into next year, and Alan Hahn was talking about his top 10 in a rotation and how cam is situational. And we're talking about the Knicks turning the Hornets first round pick into a situational player, but that's not a hot take. No, but I'm not even saying that. I'm saying, yeah, I know you're not saying, but I just want everybody out there listening. Who's like, it's Han doesn't think cam's going to be the, in what universe is cam reddish going to be in this rotation? Absent a trade. 
it's yeah. it's not going to happen. The so like million dollar player is going to see time ahead of Cam Reddish. So and, but, uh, and there will naturally be some sort of injury. It all shakes its way out. That's how Quentin Grimes broke in and, and has been able to stay in the in the, on the team and, and in a featured role, at least what you would hope to be. But that doesn't mean that it's good to go in with 11 or 12 players for 10 roster spots or even nine or rotation spots, even nine based on the reporting you've done in terms of how Tibbs worked in other places. It's just, it's, it's mind boggling. It, it, it just, it's, it's, that's the thing. The Mitchell thing, just as I sort of said, it feels like it's kind of unleashed a holy mess. That's more realized where instead of like all these little things where you can kind of figure out, all right, well, it's not great, but I can live with it. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like the straw that broke the camel's back. It's like, fine, you didn't get Mitchell, but can we now address all of the issues that we have come across and how we can solve them and how they're not being solved and why they're not being solved. And we're not asking for the answers because we know that we're not going to get them. Not even like, this isn't even a Leon no, Rose speak thing. Show it's us just, a path. It's not what the front office does, but the actions speak louder than words. Yes. And if your action is inaction, then what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and what is your general path? So we, at least as fans can get an understanding of where to go, because if it's just kind of like laissez faire, we'll figure it out when we do. That's great. Except for the fact it really isn't because we have other problems and fires to deal with. And it's like, Oh, well, it just looks like one big fire to me. And again, I, I, I'm not someone who's typically cynical. I, I try to stay as optimistic, but also throw in a hefty dash of realism. And I, I think this is the realism where it happens just side a little bit with the pessimistic part, which is they have plenty of time to write the ship. But again, what has to work in order for that clock to stay where they have plenty of time? Like when does, does time freeze? Do they get more time? They get more time if they move Randall, but the business is not necessarily good about it. It's just, I don't care that the business isn't good. Attach. I mean, I would, I would hope you could, you could get him off here, attaching a protected first. Um, God knows they have enough now to do it, but just to play that example, out, let's say they got Gordon Hayward. And Gordon Hayward was a 20 to 25 minute a night player here and played, you know, 60, 75% of the games, something like that, which is probably all he's going to play. Same thing as like Derrick Rose at this point in his career. Um, and you got to the end of the year and you looked up and Obi Toppin started and played upwards of 30 minutes a game. And RJ Barrett was your number one usage guy uh, with Jalen Brunson going short, following shortly behind. And because you had some older players like a Derek Rose, maybe you traded Derek Rose. Any any way you cut it, you look up at the end of the year, and there's Emmanuel quickly, and he's averaged 24 minutes a game, and he's gotten some opportunities to actually, you know, run the offense and and show what he could do on the ball more. If that, if that, and, and Grimes, I think we all know Grimes. We all believe Grimes is going to play and play a significant role. If all that happens. Whether they end up with 39 wins, 29 wins, it's like there's, I'm not going to say there's no downside, but like there are positive, there are real tangible positives to be taken from either of those two outcomes. Um, and I just think that's, it, it just is, it makes so much sense to do. And the fact that we are now sitting here and we're, we're left with, well, shit, can they quit? Can they attach a first to Randall to move him is you know, I, I hate to say it's the final indictment in this podcast on this front office, but well, shit, it kind of is. Um, if it's they, the Bucks pick, mind you, because that was the pick that we talked about with Fournier. 
it's under it's more understandable. It's not great. It's not good. It's bad. It's not great. But it's the sort of thing where if you believe that the Bucks with Giannis Antetokounmpo are finishing with the twenty fifth pick, twenty seventh pick. Like, again, it's not a good and, thing, but you can, if they were willing to part with it with Fournier to make them to make it work with getting Donovan Mitchell, then you can at least rationalize it in as many ways as you want for why it should get done. You could say it shouldn't have gotten done in the first place, and I'll be the first one in that point. Like, yeah, it shouldn't have. I was wrong. But if you get to that point where then it's okay, look at what else can happen. Like we, Berman saying Tibbs trusts Obi Toppin now because yeah. of what he was able to do. With, like, that and is wants huge. to play him. That wants to play him. Right. Like, but, but he will feel, look, I'm a veteran first guy. Julius Randle made second team all NBA. We went to the playoffs with him. We trusted him. He had a down year last year. Like there is not going to be a way unless, unless Julius is so bad that he has to be removed from the starting lineup or that, which isn't going to happen or that the minutes are cut down such an, an immense amount that Obi gets what 20 minutes a game. But, but then is Julius getting 20? Well, not 20. Is he getting 28 minutes a game? You, you would hope at least it's, it's closer because you know, Julius is going to get more time, but we're, we're saying, we're just running in circles saying the same thing, which is that there are benefits to this happening. But there's, and there's one other thing, because if you're listening to this and you're like, why does it have to be Randall? That moves. Why? Why? Why are we? Why are you not harping on Fournier and Rose in the same way? Especially since it would be much easier to move Derrick Rose, and I'm I would imagine it would probably be easier to move him Fournier, um, because those are even Derrick Rose, who likes to be on the ball. Those are complementary players to your team, and they, in numerous ways, and specifically with Derrick Rose in how we've heard Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly speak about him as a veteran who they respect, who's taken them under their wing, the whole thing. Those guys have real tangible benefits to being on your basketball team. And it is not all about every minute this person is playing is taking a minute away from someone who should be paying. If you are someone who believes that about Fournier Rose, I, I understand where you're coming from, especially with Rose, because he's 35 years old and he's the guy who's going to be doing the playmaking when Emmanuel quickly is not doing the playmaking. And if you want to trade away Rose, fine. I'm not going to begrudge you that. Not one bit. But you can you can squeeze those guys into a lesser role and it is fine. Unless Julius Randle changes the type of player he has always been since the day he stepped foot into the league overnight and become something completely different. There is no world where he's on a basketball court making this amount of money, a playing, as you just said, less than 30 or so minutes and B having a usage rate that is somewhere in the neighborhood of 26, 27, 28, which is what he's had the last four years. It's been a usage rate North of 27 each of the last four years, including his last year or his only year in new Orleans. Um, And that materially changes how you operate as a basketball team because of the way he operates on the floor on offense. It is a distinct style of play that he has, and it is a very, very difficult style to blend with anything else the Knicks, I think, want to try to do. And that's not even talking about Obi Toppin. That's everything else. So, you know, I I co-sign what you say. It'll be unpalatable to attach a first to get rid of him for innumerable reasons. And I'm going to, again, I'm going to have a newsletter on this, them specifically on Wednesday and, and the reasons why they need to move on from Randall. I think it needs to be done. And I think that is where we are left with in this offseason. 
But and I hate I hate that I'm at the position where I'm agreeing with the philosophy because I've been steadfast on it. Maybe stubbornly so. Maybe just just for whatever reason, believing that it could get better, hoping that things improve, feeling like it's just bad business because I know it is bad business. But we're in the position we're in, and I, I think I'm like if it happens, I'm not going to praise the front office for recognizing that something went wrong and cutting it at the knees as best they could. That's not going to happen. At the same time, I'm, I'm going to know, okay, well, it could have gotten worse. So they got out of it. It's not good. They did it. They, they would have done a lousy job, but I would understand it. And yeah, I like, I just, I can't imagine going to the garden and you hear more booze for the player who's on the Knicks than the opponents. Jeremy, it's, it's going to be game one. I don't, I know game it. one, the Pistons will be in town and there will be more we'll be booze chance. for yes. And more booze for Julius Randall than, I mean, there, there's not really anyone that, that you'd probably boo if you're the Knicks, uh, you know, maybe it's Jay Nivey because he's not a Nick, but uh, it's going to blame him for that. No, it's going to be a distraction. You're going to have to, to, Focus on the front office not liking this player. He's going to be unhappy. It's just, yeah, I, I hate that I'm at the point where I'm at. But and that's and that's we why here, we here. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> this is great. That's why, for as much as like, I want to ask you, like, well, wouldn't it, like it? It would be big of them. It would be. It would show a certain modicum of responsibility and ownership to do the difficult thing and say, and admit we screwed up. Let's get out of it now before it gets worse. And yet, and yet I know we talked about this last week in which you don't foresee any scenario where this front office would not retain their jobs through the entirety of this season. If there's a world where they did not retain their jobs, I think that world starts with some very ugly messiness of the ilk, which we just spoke of starting at the beginning of the year. I think that's the only way. So in a way, yes, it would be like big of them to, to um, get rid of him and admit that they're wrong. And at the same time, honestly, it's probably the best job saving thing that they could do. I think. Yeah. I, well, yeah. again, like when the going gets tough, it, you're going to start to see a little bit more chaos. I, I'm oh, not yeah. trying to I, like I'm not trying to project or, or or strike fear, but it's like if the front office for whatever reason senses that there are problems further up top than where they are, specifically with Dolan, if they feel that that's the case and they feel maybe the seat gets a little bit hotter, they will start to do what they need to do to preserve their roles, and it starts with Randall, and from Randall then it goes to Tibbs, and after yeah. Tibbs they should be able to get a second coach. Because, in, again, in, like unless you're talking about Isaiah Thomas level things that are off the court, this front office is going to get the opportunity to pick a second head coach. Yes, that's I believe. Just, I believe that that's just will. what happens. But even still, like they know if they have had three seasons and one of them was great, and we're also looking back and be like, as great as it was, there's a compelling argument to if it hadn't been bad, would the second season be great? Would the third season be great? I don't really know. We'll see about the third season, but it's just, there are what seem like minor things, which they aren't because you have to, if you're moving Randall, it's, 
it's a hurdle. If yeah. you are trying to get your roster to be less cluttered, like that's another, it's a smaller hurdle, but a hurdle nonetheless. If this focus shifts from Tom Thibodeau being the guy to whoever's waiting in the wings, whether it's Johnny Bryant or anyone else, like you have to get to that point. But like, if we are at that point and it's next year, then especially with Tibbs, then something has gone wrong. Like I, I don't, I have been adamant that I think there needs to be a new voice. That's not Tom Thibodeau, but I also recognize that unless there's a mutually agreed upon decision from the front office and the coaching staff after a good season, the reason Tibbs would not be in New York is because things went poorly. Yeah. If things go poorly, then that's great from the draft perspective, but really not good from how is this front office going to write the ship to get everyone on the right page? Yeah, no, I, I, I can't disagree. Um, I, I mean, I, I still think Tibbs is a good coach, um, but I, I am at the point of, I guess, ap- not apathy. I shouldn't say apathy, but like, they need to get their shit sorted out one way or another. I don't, I don't see how getting rid of Tibbs helps that, but I am not behind the scenes. And I don't know that for a fact. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Smooth Sack Summer is slowly coming to an end, fellas. If you haven't been scaping for the summer sun, it's not too late to sweep your sack of those pesky pubes. As summer comes to an end, keep your boys clean and fresh just in time for fresh ball fall. The leader in below-the-waist grooming is here to make sure your pubes feel smoother than a beach ball and smell fresher than your girl's pumpkin spice. Start the new season the right way and join over 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer just for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code FILMSCHOOL at manscaped.com. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to keep your sweet, sweet sack in check. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear Hair and Nose Hair trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. Their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RP motor, a new multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Whether you're hopping in the shower or hitting up the lake, this razor will devour even the strongest pubes. Now that your sack is smooth, lather up with Manscaped's liquid formulations to get that fresh ball fall freshness with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant to stay cool in the heat. Their soothing aloe vera formula is the best in the business for below-the-waist freshness, and the clear drying formula keeps your sack looking and smelling good. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. That'll bring your comfort to another level at home and on the go. Keep yourself groomed from head to toe with their Shears 2.0, a luxury nail grooming kit. This kit includes stainless steel nail cutters, tweezers, and grooming scissors. With the performance package, your balls will be ready to impress, but make sure you cover the rest with the Shears 2.0. Don't hesitate. Get 20% off and free shipping with code FILMSCHOOL at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping with the code FILMSCHOOL at manscaped.com. Keep things smooth and fresh as we say sayonara to smooth sack summer and hello to fresh ball fall. Uh, any, Andrew, anything, did we miss anything? 
Did you miss anything? No. What started off as a let's jump on 45 minutes and talk, we're 70 minutes in. So you guys covered it all. There you um, go. I will just add to the conversation um, some production notes, first of all, um, or I guess producer notes. Uh, Jeremy, to add to your analogy about it's like if you punched John in the face, but like you said you were going to, but you didn't, or you were going to punch him in the face, but you didn't. Um, the Knicks also swung but just missed and you didn't see them miss. Like they actually took a swing here, which is why it's even more disheartening um, to add to why, to why Rose and Fournier are different. John, just, yeah. we also haven't seen a world where Tibbs will bench Randall in crunch time. Have we not, no. not unless it's like they, the, the, the second unit blew out the team, but even we saw that Knicks are up 20 and Julius gets put in with seven minutes left. To get to 20 well, points. We were doing that on playback, you know? The closest we came was the game where they had, and I, I, I want to say it was Chicago. We've talked about this game before, the one where they won, and Julius seemed like he was storming off the court. And mm-hmm. there was a rumor that came out afterwards that he re- re- like requested a trade because the offense did not go through him. Um, and I think he wasn't in into the last four minutes um, of that game. That's the closest that we've come. It's why Fournier and Rose's. Presence on the team. Well, I agree would be better if they had dedicated those minutes to one of the younger players. We've seen him bench Fournier in crunch time. If quickly has it going, if Grimes has it going, same thing with Derek Rose, who honestly at this point in his career is probably better suited being a 20 to 25 minute player anyway. So those minutes can be as well. He is. That is guys. what he is. I mean, that's what he's that been. Is but what even he is. still, but like, since he's been here, he's also come in and played like entire sec fourth quarter. Yeah, I don't but think then that's you, what happens. Right. Yeah. And you get Brunson, you bring him in here. Grimes is going to have a featured role. Derek Rose, when he's healthy, is going to get his usual at least 20 minutes a night. And then you're left wondering what the hell happens to Emmanuel quickly and how he's in the third year. And, you know, he has Derek Rose playing ahead of him uh, for a team where we're talking about where the goal is to get wins and yet develop at the same time. And it just can I make a pitcher can't win. It's just the fact that quickly will now not have the opportunity. And then of course, deuce as we've been talking about, like it just, it's, it just feels backwards. It feels, it feels like you should be finding these veterans and giving them time in the roles that you, in which you do not have someone to reliably be there. Like that that is the mellow argument, right? Like Obi Toppin gets to start. He plays 30 minutes a night and you don't have someone to back him up. Like then you get mellow to fill in the 18. Like that is the role in which you should have the veterans, not, Hey, Derek Rose's career is probably a few years away from really, you know, not being super impactful. If he doesn't fit and he's blocking other players, it's an easier conversation than with Randall because of the versatility, because of what Rose brings to the game, because of the efficiency, but it doesn't make me feel that much better knowing Emmanuel quickly, who is included in a potential Donovan Mitchell trade does not have the opportunity to really improve himself unless Derek Rose gets hurt. Don, make your pitch. Then I have a counter. Well, not counter, but some dads. My, with my pitch is said. simple. Keep Rose on the team right now. Cause it doesn't seem like there's a market for him to get a, a first anywhere at the moment. We'll see what happens with the Russ Utah thing. Keep him on the team. Play him, have a planned rest schedule where he plays essentially two out of every three games, maybe three out of every four games. The games where he sits, Emmanuel quickly steps into the backup point guard role and you keep him on the team through 
the beginning of January, let's call it 25, 30 games. And by that point in time, you assume a market will have developed for him. And then, then you explore trading him and whether you trade. Yeah. And when you trade, whether you trade him after 30 games or 35 games or 40 games, any way you cut it, it is the understanding is that after you trade him for the final 30, 40, 50 games of the season, Emmanuel quickly then becomes your backup point guard. That would be great if anyone were the coach except for Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, but again, Thibodeau's, you, the Tibbs is not going to create yeah, a plan. Tom Thibodeau is not the president of the organization. I and again, that. if you cannot if look at your coach and say, this is what we're doing because this is what makes the most sense for us. And, we, we're, and, and one other important key caveat here, we're not undercutting your ability to coach because we're not telling you to look your players in the face and basically lie to them when you tell them I'm doing everything I can. Cause that's what I think that's why Tom gets his buy-in is he could look his players in the face and says, I'm going to go to war with you to do everything that I can to get a win tonight. And I think that's why players continually buy in to him. He wouldn't have to do that because the guy wouldn't be on the team anymore. And if you as an organization can't do that, then you should fire him today. It's what you're saying is great in theory. It's just not, but then that's the organizational case. dysfunction, and that's but a big fucking but it, problem. But look at what I understand what you're saying. But then from Tibbs's perspective, he's saying, "Okay, let me get this straight. You are taking one of the few players still on this team that I trust with any game on the line, and you're restricting when I can use him, and the, for the sole purpose of then trading him away. He contributes to winning basketball. Meanwhile, I get to be on the hot seat." And not be able to win games, which affects my job performance. Great, so my resign. Employment. So fucking send your letter of resignation. But, but as you, but John, as you said, clearly they are on board and in lockstep with Tibbs. So they're not going to do that and put him in a position where he looks well, worse than he is. Then they're that's an organizational issue. But, it, but we could talk about the organizational issue in terms of that. Okay, they should not have Tibbs as coach. But what you're saying, where like last year they shut Rose down for the season. And that was fine, right? Yeah. This is a very different situation. This is, we are resting him due to load uh, management. And yeah. then we are going with the explicit purpose of trading him. And Tom, you're just going to have to deal with that. It's a very different situation than our okay. backs are against the wall last season. We want to see what we got here. And he still plays Alec Burks. That's, that's all. It's, I just don't see it ever happening based on the parameters. To start well, then, a season well, as the Knicks that, try to well, win every game they can to make the plan. Then that's an issue. My final point summarizes all of this. And it's it's why, as much as I loved your thread in your newsletter from yesterday, it's really the, the newsletter John released Friday, the one the day after the the trade went down. That has been why the last the weekend's been so complicated for me. So, Jeremy, we've had the one well, debate, but we've had the conversation better call Saul versus Breaking Bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, John, you like to reference the Sopranos a lot. Breaking Bad is my Sopranos, probably because I haven't seen the Sopranos and you've never seen Breaking Bad. Yeah. Um, there's a scene in season three where a character named Mike is talking about how he only went halfway on something. And it was the last time, like it, it was, he, he was so close to going down a road of doing something. Yeah. We only went halfway to do it and it ended up costing someone. Like somebody got killed as a result. Yeah. It was the last time he did that. No more half measures. Mm-hmm. And there's, 
there seems to be a halfway for both of this, both directions with the roster right now, with the organization. Yeah. They want to build through the youth, but they're also like throwing them all in trade packages. They're telling us season ticket holders that like, we're going to build a young and exciting team and we're going to extend RJ Barrett and release this bullshit press release that has nothing of no hint of facts to it, especially when you hear all the reporting that's come out since. And it's It's why I can't feel, and you guys didn't summarize it. We did a 90 minute pot on it, but it's why this conversation I think is capturing what the fan base is feeling right now. I can't feel good about the process. I can feel relieved about the results. I can't feel good that this team tried to trade the young kids that we, we all to an extent believe in. And then they didn't even do it. They half measured it. So it's why going into this season, there's a half measure of a team that's trying to win as much as possible under Tom Thibodeau and Julius Randle and Derek Rose. And then there's a half measure of a team that might benefit from playing max minutes, regardless of how many t- games they win with Obi Toppin and RJ Barrett and Quentin Grimes and Emmanuel quickly. And that's why it's different, but I'm as frustrated as I've been with this front office since they've taken over so far. They've been doing half measures since they have taken over. Yeah. Uh, But I I think what they're trying to do and the roster for the most part right now kind of speaks to it is that, I mean, we know that they didn't want to lose games. We know they wanted to win, but they didn't trust the younger players. And then Tibbs definitely didn't trust the younger players. And we're hopefully getting to a point by year three or year four, year five for a lot of these guys where they can finally hold their own, especially on rookie contracts. And that once they can hold their own, then the front office can start to phase out, you know, the Fourniers, the Roses, the Randalls of the world. Although Randall, again, it's his own separate issue because of how he and Obi. It's totally different. But then it goes back to like, okay, well, let's say you phase them out. Are you consolidating their salary into expendable salary? You can move oh, down the line. We don't Are know. you doing it for cap space? Because if you're trying to trade for a star, you're not going to trade that star into your cap space. Like That's what's going to be so fascinating to figure out down the line. But in the meantime, yeah, it's it's all been half measures until they can say, well, now we're good. Now we don't have to do those half measures. We can... We can have a a rotation that's 70%, 26 and under. And what's more, we can feel like the players that we have who are older than that are legitimately good. And right now it's there. Two of them are good. One of them we hope is is good, but just others other than one incredible season has not been for Uh the most part. So two things. First of all, I love the Leo math. Leonardo DiCaprio math we're doing here, 26 and under, because Julius Randle's 27 and he's apparently entirely too old. Jeremy, you have been more confident in the front office and a defender because you honestly understand this stuff way more than I do. I always go to like, well, Jeremy's confident about it. I'll be more confident and trust that they have a plan. That's the only thing I'm holding on to that because you still see that there is a cohesive way that they get to point B fine. But I'm John's last point in the newsletter, their evaluation of talent is my biggest question right now, because like you said, Emmanuel quickly should be getting minutes over like Darko should be backing up Emmanuel quickly in a rotation or complimenting Emmanuel quickly in a rotation. We should be featuring the young guys and having veterans to back them up. 
And their evaluation of talent is the only way we can win is the path that got us to the miserable season we had last season, not the last 15 games that was fun and exciting. And regardless of what the rosters they were playing against were, it was a style of basketball we could enjoy watching, which is why they have three weeks to do it. But I'm really worried about the upcoming season and how much enjoyment we're actually going to get out of it. You, well, you know, listen. Call me Leon Michelle because I can't get a read on this team. I can't read what they're doing. That's a very niche joke. But who but gets it? Who get you it? Get it? And you, you laugh really hard at it. Yes. You know what would be funny? What is after they apparently got to a point where they all fucking hated each other, the Jazz and the the Knicks in these negotiations. There was one more showdown over. Who's going to trade for Russell Russell Westbrook? Well, oh God! Doesn't it sound like, based on the account you were mentioning, hashtag? I would already have all. I mean, just if you're like, who cares about that account? It's a crazy guy. Like this is not this account is not the first th- uh, entity to mention that the Jazz and mm-hmm. uh, Lakers are are probably going to try to do business on on Russell Westbrook. But man, wouldn't it be something if uh, Ainge was? You know, steadfast in trying to get both of those Lakers picks. Um, does he reduce his ask to one because he wants to make sure that the Knicks do not sneak in and get Russ um, and or, unload their bad money? You know? Or what if he's so eager to get his hands on the unprotected 27 and 29 firsts that he sends like one of the Cavs 29 firsts just so oh. he can get? You know something better in value and control those picks, and then so I, like we're looking to do a swap. Yep, in twenty nine. So the Lakers still have a first, but it's significantly worse, or could be significantly worse than what they have. Like th- that sort of mindset. And if we're talking about where Danny Ainge bo- um, basically boxes out the Knicks from getting Donovan Mitchell and from not being able to potentially get Russell Westbrook by then shedding. Fournier and Rose and Reddish. I'm not even saying they, the Knicks would do that, but like, even if it were those three for the 2027 first, then we're talking about a situation which Danny Ainge is just destroying my psyche <laughs> and my well being. What was but the Pedro like, the Pedro Martinez thing? Uh, the Yankees made tip me my, my cap and call the Yankees my daddy. There you go. Yes, and then he came back from 3-0 down against them in the ALCS. I so, had forgotten. Thank you. Sorry. Don't <laughs> you have a division race Let's that say, you are also squandering? Neither of our baseball teams are giving us <laughs> happy not going well. feelings right now. Although no. Judge is amazing. Judge is good. Everyone yes. else is not. Yeah. Uh, this was, I'm happy we did this. It's as depressing as it. Here, let me, let me just very briefly. Jeremy, you saw that, right? Oh, they're talking baseball. Time to wrap up. Yeah. <laughs> Let's to get the hell out of here. Um, uh, this was very, this came off as very doom and gloom. I think. The reason why we're so concerned, uh, I I speak for everybody when I say this, is all of us fully believe that there's really good stuff here with Mm -hmm. the Knicks, genuinely more so maybe than at any point since the 90s. Like there's a real chance that this thing could be very good. And it feels like they the reason we're we're all bothered is it feels like they were on the verge of maybe really screwing it up and might still be on the verge of screwing it up. And we're just like, guys, it's right there. It's right there for you. Just figure it out. It's right there. Defcon one's the extreme one, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I feel like I went from Defcon four to Defcon three. Like 
I'm still solidly in the middle. Yeah. There's time to get back to four and even to five, but I'm at three right now. I don't want to go to two. I'm <laughs> hoping I can avoid it, but uh, I'm in three. And I, that shift is like, all right, let's, let's see where we go. And to John's point about things being good, I was at a family function yesterday, um, a memorial. Thank you to everybody for your condolences, by the way, for, for my aunt Sally um, and a lot of older Knicks fans that have checked out on the team. It was the first time because they know what I do for a living that I could say, like, there is some good here. They do have a lot of young, exciting pieces. Like there is an RJ Barrett that, we're at least going to get to see for the time being what he becomes and does have some moments where he shows greatness and, and a ceiling that even like the most optimistic are, are not, um, not even projecting for him. And it's complicated because the process was not something I can really be confident in, but in a vacuum, they draft well, like the Brock Allers of the world exist and they're, they're making smart decisions and they're not just, Oh, we have a pick. We have to make it. No, let's turn that pick into three others or two others and being more economical with their front office decisions. It's just, again, there's a half measure here that I'm, I'm waiting to see if they actually pick one path and go down it and fully commit to it that we'll see if they do in the next couple of weeks. You know, it's a nice feeling. And I'm I'm older and I have more Knicks PTSD than both of you because of it. There's genuinely no world in which I can envision any of Emmanuel Quickly, Quen Grimes, or Obi Toppin coming out this year and not being legitimately good and not legitimately improving on last year. Um you all know I have my doubts about RJ in terms of his ability to ascend to stardom, true stardom. But RJ, it's like we know RJ's working at it. And we know if he comes out and he has a clunker or a couple clunkers, he's going to put it behind him and he's going to come out and he's going to have a revitalized approach the next game. And he's going to keep doing it until he gets it right. So even like RJ, while I am not as high on RJ as some others, even him too, I can't imagine RJ coming out this year and after a season, us turning around and be like, man, Boy, do they screw up with that extension. I just, I can't see that either. So for all those reasons, I think there's a lot, there is, like you just said, it's a lot to be hopeful about. So, all right. This was good. Uh, Andrew Claudio, thank you for the idea. As always, apologies that it was double the amount of time that I thought it would be, but I thought it was productive. No apologies necessary. Yeah. I didn't literally do anything except sit here and watch you guys do it. So it's fun. Yeah. Doom and gloom as it might've felt, even though I don't feel that way all the time. It was necessary. I'm glad yes. we got it out there. I'm glad we can kind of turn that page moving forward. Catharsis. Yes. Sometimes, sometimes you got to release yeah. the demons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy, as always, thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, and of course, everybody out there, thanks for checking out another episode of the Next Film School podcast. Um, Andrew, I, I do believe we have two more episodes coming out this week. It's a we busy week. do. We do. A lot of, lot of potential Julius Randall trade partners that we're going to talk to. Yeah, we're listen. We're getting this guy out of here. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna try and find a, a trade partner for him. We got someone from Pestikos uh, in Turkey. Yeah, uh, <laughs> jeez, Jeremy. <laughs> we got Cologne, Germany on the phone. We got Real Madrid. Can we just clarify? I don't. I, I hate that we have to, but but like the internet's a thing. It's not personal. No, like I don't hate not. Julius Randall as a okay. Jeremy and I don't hate Julius Randall. It's a little personal for me. Very good (laughs) clarification. Andrew and I don't hate Julius Randall. I don't. I I mentioned this during the live stream. There's a ring on my fiance's 
uh, hand because of a most improved player, mostly because of a most improved player award that he won in a calculated bet that I made. I hope like he had a, a, wor- a good offseason where he worked his ass off and is coming into the season motivated. And if he's on the team, I hope in his role that it's successful. I just also know that the best thing for this team is that the team that he's on when he goes to have that successful bounce back season is a different one. So that way the Knicks can, you know, feature the guy that they took eighth overall two seasons ago. That's a reason to be happy. Obi Toppin is not, Obi Toppin is not in Utah. That's, a, no. that's another reason to be happy. Uh, all right, everybody. Uh, don't forget if you enjoy the pod, uh, if you're not subscribed, subscribe, uh, Leave a leave a review and uh, give a five star rating. We haven't asked. I haven't asked for one of those in a while, but I'll ask for it now um, because I think we've done some good work this summer. And if you could help us uh, let others know that um, there's there's good stuff happening on the pod, that would be really appreciated. Um, we will be back with you with another episode very soon. Peace out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.